0: You guys doing okay? Merry Christmas! Yeah, turn to your uh, your neighbor behind you, in front of you, and say Merry Christmas as I get set up up here. All right, my name is JP, <coughs> stands for John Park. I am also from Virginia. You from VA? Yeah, Virginia is for lovers, right? Um. I've been serving as a as a college pastor for the past couple of years. I've been in Korea for a little over five years, and it's my joy to be here in Busan. Um, I've been here for a week and I ate Tejigukpa four times this week, four times huh? I think I'm done. I think I got my fill. But <laughs> yeah, I'm glad to be here, and I'm excited to preach the word today. We are as a church, uh, real quick. Can you raise your hand if you've been coming to this church for more than five years? All right. You can put your hands down. More than uh, two years. All right, put your hands down. More than, uh, how about less than six months? All right, all right, all right. Welcome, welcome. All right. I just wanted to gauge, you know, the timeline of everything. <laughs> our church, we're living through some uh, exciting times, to say the least, right? Exciting times, to say the least. Uh, a little bit of turbulence, a little shaky, but uh, God is up to something. God's up to something good. Um, he's way too good. His providence is way too strong uh, for us to not believe that, you know, that He's up to something, right? And um, it's a little uncomfortable. He's kind of rocking the boat a little bit, right? Uh, That's what God, He does that at times. He likes to rock the boat, uh, teach us how to sleep in the storms, you know, and um, that's what He's doing right now. And for whatever He's doing, rest assured that He is doing all things for His glory, but also for our good simultaneously. It's not either or, and I believe that with all my heart, that whether it's individually in our lives or us as a church, He's doing all things for His glory and for our good. Problem is, it's mysterious how that works out. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) It's mysterious. Y'all feeling me already, all right? (laughs) He'll do it on his terms, the way he wants it, but it's not because he's insecure and needy. It's because he does know what's best for us. And um, these days I've been dialoguing with God, and uh, I've been asking him a lot of questions. I know some of y'all have been asking God a lot of questions as well. Question after question, um... Some of these questions are out of frustration, but these days I've been asking a lot of questions out of just wonder, kind of like a childlike wonder. and questions such as God? What is church? Right. God, um, why is church so important? And questions that have to do with church. And I've been asking God, The way that we have been living and doing church is this how it was meant to be. Um, A little bit about myself. I grew up as a Christian and under a Christian household. Right? I grew up, probably many of us here, not all, grew up in a Christian culture and context. I grew up going to these Sunday gatherings all my life. And, uh, you know, growing up, I went to these Sunday gatherings for reasons that were you know had, that had nothing to do with Jesus, but you know, it was mostly social, right? As a little kid, you go, you play, you make fun of girls, and like you know you like do all these things, and you know, I was what you call a nominal or a cultural churchgoer, all right? And um, growing up, um, all I could remember was waiting for Sunday school to end so I could play outside. And even at a young age, God used me. Um, he used me in church at a young age. How so? He used me to bring much sanctification to my Sunday school teachers. Right? I was a thorn in the flesh to these Sunday school teachers. And all I know is that I would often see them weep and cry for me. It's, it's not because they wanted a breakthrough for me. It's because they were frustrated. Right? Right? That was how God used me. And, you know, praise God. And I praise God. And, um, yeah, by the time I got to high school, I still went to church but never really had a relationship with Jesus. I still went for social reasons. But as you're getting older in high school, there different motives start to come up. Yeah, I went because of friends. But some of you guys know this. Some of you guys don't. I also went to church to make some money, right, because in the early high schools, I was I was also – Um, Not saved, but I went to church. Uh, In my early days, I used to sell drugs. And I was involved with a little bit of gang activity. And so I would go to church to meet friends, but also sell drugs. Yeah. And so I had a little street pharmacy business on the side. And that's what church was for me. You know? And uh, surprisingly... I, I felt like, you know, it's pocket money, but I felt like I was making more money in church than on the corners, right? It was weird, right? But none of y'all in here, I know. None of y'all in here. <laughs> um, eventually, right, I encountered God and gave my life to God, and uh, I went to juvie, I met Jesus, long story short, and I got saved, right? And that was mid-high school, and I started going to a different church because I didn't want to go back to the church where, uh, you know, I ripped people off, Right? <laughs> live in church. And initially, it was because I wanted to get my life in order and start living right. But I'm still in high school. So even though I wanted to change, the reason why, I st- honestly speaking, the reason why I started going to this other church, of course I wanted to change, was because I started liking this girl. Right? I started liking this girl. And then we started dating, and I kept going to church with her. You know, we broke up. She broke up with me. I was sad. And I was going to leave the church, and then... Some people asked me, hey, uh, we have a basketball tur- uh, tournament coming up, so why don't you sign up? Because I like basketball. And so that's what kept me going to church after that. And after we lost in the tournament, <laughs> I was going to leave again, and then and then the people there, the pastors were like, hey, just come check out this thing called the retreat. And I was like, okay, I'll check it out. And you guys know, you guys know how it is. I go to retreat, I encounter God, and I ended up staying At the church, right? And my relationship with Jesus um, began um, in high school. And um, it was gaining momentum. And eventually, I started going to church actually for Jesus. A love for worship. A love, a sincere hunger to know Jesus more. It began to grow in my heart. And this led to me faithfully attending all these programs. These programs called prayer meetings. Early morning prayer meetings, right? Uh, becoming a retreat junkie. Uh, becoming a short-term missions junkie. I started signing up for everything, right? And little did I know that my perception of church was forming in these days. Right? My perception of church, though there was much good, to me, I, I look back now, but it was a lot of programs. Right? Little did I know. During my university years, I got really involved in campus ministry and missions. These were the two things I was very passionate about. I started um, getting really involved with campus ministry, and I started serving. And then, you know, I went to a place called James Madison University. lived on campus. And we started doing life together with all the students. And I I loved it with all my heart. And eventually what happened is I substituted campus ministry over church. I stopped going to Sunday church, but I was going to these campus meetings. And I substituted it. And when it came to mission trips, every chance there was, I went, because I loved this so much. And you know, I don't, I don't have time to share my missions journey, but eventually I, I found myself going to these mission trips to West Africa, to a small country called Gambia. I kept going back. Uh, five times I went, and finally... Uh, I went for almost two years as a missionary after I graduated university. Why am I sharing all these details? Um, without being aware, I somehow began to view the church as not so important. To me, uh, I became gung-ho about world missions. Right? It got to the point where missions became everything to me. I somehow became so critical toward the church. I became that guy that was so judgmental toward the church, and I didn't have any uh, good impression of the church because I started believing, hey, if the church, if the church was not involved in global missions and reaching the lost and unreached people groups, then they're not really doing the real thing. Like I, I was really judgmental in my heart. Like these little gatherings, pizza fellowship, whatever. I was like, okay, like do your thing, but don't call yourself the church. I was very judgmental at that time. All right. <laughs> I ain't judging judging anybody here, all right? But that's how it was formed. And this mindset bred a lot of criticism and pride in my heart. Um, Any church not doing these things was a a dead church to me. After my time uh, in Africa, God brought me to Korea uh, for seminary. I went to a seminary called Torch Trinity in Seoul. And this was my game plan. My game plan was, okay, I'm going to go to seminary, I'm going stu- to study the Bible, I'm going to study discipleship, I'm going to study what missions is all about for three years, right? Within those three years, I'm going to get married, right? And then and then my wife and I, we're going to do missions training together, and after those three years, we're going to, whatever, do training together, and then we're going to go back into the into the mission field and be missionaries, right? That was the game plan. That was the burning desire of my heart, right? I graduated towards Trinity, I'm still single today, and now I'm serving as a pastor of a church here in Seoul. I mean, over there in Seoul. Right? So what happened? (laughs) What happened, right? Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans of men, Uh, but it is the Lord who establishes his steps. Right? Now I'm on full-time staff at New Philly. Many people that know me, um, back at home especially, they ask me again and again, JP, when are you going to go back to Africa? JP, I thought your training was over. First of all, (laughs) are you dating? (laughs) Nah. Why aren't you going back to Africa, you know? And honestly, to this day, it's really difficult to answer this question because my heart still burns for global missions. That's just what God put on my heart. That's something that I love to do. Uh, I still long to do this, but i do I do know that it wouldn 't be wise for me to run faster than god and i and I know that i wouldn 't want to go just me myself and my zeal without God and his leading right. I wrestle with this question quite a bit: Why am I still here in Korea and it comes down to this: there was a time in the early years of my seminary when I was super judgmental toward the church, and then I was. Watching, There are two things I want to share that I experienced during these times. I was watching this movie called The Passion of the Christ. You guys know that movie, right? I was watching it with some people, and there's a scene in the film where Jesus is getting whipped by the Roman soldiers, right? There are glass pieces and nails being driven into his body, tearing his body apart. I remember watching that, and it was so gruesome. And Some of y'all, you can't. You know, you do this, right? I was watching it, and as the Roman soldiers were whipping his body, you know, right at the moment, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to my heart, right? And what the Holy Spirit was speaking to my heart was, you know, this is my body. Even today, my body is still being whipped. And I felt so convicted. I just felt so heavy in my heart, and I realized my attitude and my heart Toward his church, toward his body, was just like that of the Roman soldiers. That every time I judged or gossiped about the body of Christ, I was in fact adding to those whippings. And if you keep watching the film, what happens? You see Mary, she comes by to this broken body, and she brings this white piece of cloth. And what does she do? She starts tending the wounds. She starts tending uh, the bleeding, the pain of the body of Christ. And at that moment, there was a a change in my heart because I felt God asking me, will you tend my body? Like Mary, will you tend my body? You know, we really got to ask ourselves this question as much as we are part of now the body of Christ is this. You know, sometimes we do contribute, don't we? either to the whippings or to the tending of the body of Christ today, right? That's when my heart began to change. And like, man, God loves the body of Christ. And another time that same year, I got this revelation as I was talking with my friends. And we we're talking about the church as the bride of Christ. You know, in the Bible, um, the Bible many metaphors when it comes to the church. Metaphors such as the body, right? Metaphors such as, calls us the temple, right? Built up by living stones, right? It also talks about the bride of Christ. The bride being the bride of Jesus Christ. Jesus being the bridegroom. And this revelation hit me hard when I realized that I was thinking about Adam and Eve, right? And Adam, you know, out of, how did Eve get formed, right? Out of his side, out of his rib, formed his bride, Eve, right? Well, you know what? The Bible says in Corinthians that Jesus Christ, he is known as the second Adam. And when he got pierced on his side, out of his side, you know what birthed after that? Was a church was his bride, and when that revelation hit me, I felt like God was asking me, you know, why are you talking about my woman like that? You know, like you know, why do you why do you talk about my bride like that? You know, the church, indeed, we are the bride of Christ, birthed from His side, because it is finished. And after that, the church was born. That's crazy, right? So you see, now God was doing a lot of things in my heart at this time. And, and you know, these are the many reasons I could say today. These are, this is why I'm here in Korea. One of the biggest reasons is this. God wants to teach me the importance and purpose of his church. You know why I'm here? You know why I'm not out there right now? God has me in this long season of learning about what is his church? Who is his church? And I'm still on that journey, still trying to figure things out. There's a lot of things I need to unlearn, and there's a lot of things I need to relearn. We are people that are shaped by culture, right? We're shaped by the culture of a nation, but we're also shaped by church culture. And there's some things that we need to unlearn, there are certain values within culture that actually do not align with the values of the kingdom of God. Amen. So that's why that's what I mean. Like when I'm trying to discover God, what is the church? You know, ha- we have to go back to the Bible. What does the Bible say about Ecclesia, the church? Right? And today, we're, today we're going to go into that. I'd like to uh, answer today this question. What was and what is Jesus' intended design and purpose of his church? All right, I'm going to say that one more time. We're going to answer this today. What was and what is Jesus' intended design and purpose of his church? Y'all ready to go? Y'all with me, right? All right, here we go. Last week... There was a powerful minister that preached here at um, Busan. Her name is Molly. She's sitting in the back, right? And I listened to her message. And how many of you guys think that Molly needs to preach more? Come on, somebody, right? Molly needs to get on this mic more because she is a powerful woman of God and she needs to preach more, right? My voice cracked, right? (laughs) Molly, she preached... Also on the topic of the church. If you weren't here, I just want to remind us, right, want to revisit. Uh, She preached on the church being set on the rock. The rock being Jesus Christ. She preached from Matthew 16. When Jesus went up to Peter, Peter's name means also rock, but more specifically pebble, all right? Jesus goes up to Peter and says, on this rock I will build my church. Jesus makes a promise right there. Jesus says, I will build my church on this rock. But you got to study the language to understand. And Molly said this. It was so good. So good. What, what Jesus was saying this was this. He wasn't saying, looking at Peter, on you, on this rock, I will build my church. He was saying, hey, Peter, on this rock, I'm going to build the church. Because Peter was a a rock, not the rock. The Bible also says that you and I are living stones. And stone by stone, God is building his church upon the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. So good. So good, Molly. (laughs) But that's what she preached on. And today is basically part two of the church, all right? Part two. Now, what what she preached on was this. (coughs) She preached on the ecclesia. Psalm one. 127 it says um, unless the lord builds his house the laborers you know build in vain they get tired they get burnt out right unless the lord builds his house ecclesia want to get a little nerdy on you guys it means assembly the gathering of people it means called out ones right called out for a specific purpose. An assembly, a gathered people called out for a specific purpose. And did you know that ecclesia, the word, which is Greek right, for church, ecclesia, did you know that it was not a religious word? It was actually a, a regular secular word. The word ecclesia was used um, basically for public town hall meetings. The word ecclesia was used Basically, when people of the town had to get together to discuss something. It was also a, check this out, this is interesting. It's interesting to know that this is a Greek term used also to summon and gather an army together as well. Right? It's a secular word that later took on sacred meaning. When Jesus first said it, I will build my ecclesia. I will build my gathered people. Right, the term was used by Jesus not to refer to a new physical temple or building, but a people. Right? Ecclesia is people called out from the world and into his kingdom, simply put okay? once again, the church is the assembly of believers in Christ, not a building. I was reading uh this book by this author named Francis Chan, and I love this. He said that in his church, churches like they do house church, right? In one of his house churches, gatherings, right, he said that there's so many people actually, part of their assembly, part of their group, that has a background in gang activity, right? I have a little bit of background, right? I'm not going to go too detailed into it. But one thing we do know about gangs, gangs are like families. I remember when I got mixed up with it, I had my hyungs and nunas, Right? My older friends that supplied stuff for me. They took care of me. They got my back. I felt powerful because I knew they had my back, right? It, one of the core values of gangs, you know it is? loyalty. Loyalty. Right? Now, Francis Chan, he was saying this. And this is just to put things into perspective. Here we go. He says, hey, can you imagine a gangster going to another fellow gangster and saying, hey, how was gang today? hey how was gang you know you know what I'm saying it sounds so weird doesn't it how was gang today right like a gangster going to another gangster you know how was gang let's go to gang which gang you want to go you know you know what I mean I don't know it, it was just so interesting to me when I read that Because it's so normal for us. It's like, how was church? How was church? Right? Because we know in our minds, we know in our minds that Ecclesia is the people and not the building. We all say yes and amen to that. But in our everyday language, in our mindsets, in the cultures that we were reared up in, even as a Christian, we're used to saying, how was church today? I'm not even going to go into how we even answer that question, how was church today? We'll go into that later. (laughs) All right? So, last week, Molly, she established Jesus' promise he's going to build his church. What I love about the Bible is this. The Bible also also gives us uh, prophetic revelation of what that actually looks like. Right? So Jesus says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to build my church. And then in Revelations, there's revelation saying, this is what it looks like. God gives revelation to Apostle John, and this is what it looks like. Let me just read it for us. Revelation 7, 9 through 12, this is what the church looks like. This is what Jesus is building. Here we go. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white, white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I read that, I'm like, that's a church. That's what Jesus is building. People from every tribe, every people group, gathered together, worshiping Jesus. To me, that's a church. Now here we are in the in-between. Jesus promised this, And here we get a vision of what it looks like. Now we're here stuck in the in-between trying to figure it out, right? Um, Jesus promises this thing post-Molly's sermon, right? Trek with me, guys, right? Jesus promises this, and then he does life with them. Jesus does life with them for about three years, and then Jesus says, guess what? I'm going to build my church. But you know what? Later on he says, but also, I'm leaving. I'm peacing out. I'm a son to help her, but I'm going to be with the Father. So that happens. And if I was one of the disciples, I'm like, how are you going to build your church if you're leaving? And, then, and then, you know, and they they leave. And if I was one of the disciples, I would be like, what do we do now? What do they do after he leaves? They hide, filled with fear. They hide. The same people that killed Jesus, they're going to kill us too. What do we do now? And they remember the voice of Jesus saying, go to Jerusalem, stay there. I'm going to send my helper. And then we know what happens right there, right? In the upper room, Pentecost happens. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost happens. It It says that the Holy Spirit is poured out upon all the disciples. It says 120 people in that room. This, like, really happened, guys, alright? This really happened. The Spirit of God poured out, and then people were speaking different languages in different tongues. Different tongues. And the people were like, what the heck is going on right now? Right? Pentecost happened, 120 tongues, signs and wonders are happening. People from all over are coming through. It's not just people of Jerusalem. People from all over are coming through. And the people are speaking different tongues. And it says in the word of God in Acts chapter 2, it says that 3,000 was added to them. 3,120 people. (laughs) Now, like, can we just pause real quick? Can you imagine that? The disciples, what do we do now? They're scared. Holy Spirit pours out. People are speaking different language. And then what happens to their ecclesia? 3,000 were added to them. How many of you guys led, you know, don't actually, don't answer that. If you have led someone to Christ, right, (coughs) let's say you will lead someone to Christ. When you lead someone to Christ, and let's say they accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and they become a Christian. After they become a Christian, what do you do? What would you do? What do you do? Yeah. You take them to gang. Yeah, you take them to church. <laughs> you know, like what, what do you do? You know what I mean? It's an interesting question to think about. Hold on to that thought, alright? Hold on to that thought. A side note. This is really cool. You know, in Acts chapter 2, Talks about how Holy Spirit was poured out, people spoke in so many different languages, and later on they were all scattered And with these languages, with these different people groups. They were scattered to do missions, to reach out to different people groups. Right? Now, this is the cool part. It's a redemption of what happened in Genesis. In Genesis chapter eleven, what happens is the people are gathered together, and it says that these people they had they decided to do things. They decided to build their kingdom without God. They started building this tower called the Tower of Babel. Right? And what happened in Genesis 11 when the people people decided to turn away from God? What happened? God began to confuse their language. And they started speaking in all these different languages. And it says that God scattered them and the nations were formed. You see, out of rebellion... Against God, God scattered them after languages were formed. But we see now, you know, you walk through the Old Testament and you see, like, all these different nations, whether they are for God or against God. What happens in Acts chapter 2? Again, God pours out His Spirit, God intervenes, provides all these different languages, and now they scatter to redeem what happened in the Tower of Babel. This is what's going on. This is a a big picture thing that we're involved in here, right? So here we go. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2. Let's just turn there. That was my introduction. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. When you're there, uh, if you guys can look up, because I want to remind us before we read this, all right. Remember, three thousand people just got added to them. They don't know what's going on, the disciples, all right. What we're about to read here is what we call the early church, and how the ecclesia—this is how Jesus first began building his church, all right. All right we're, gonna, we're gonna read this. Here we go. It's amazing. Acts 2, 42 to 47, it says, <coughs> Excuse me. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Everyone say, I'm to say all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. How do you receive food with a generous heart? Anyways, praising God and having favor with all the people And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. Can you turn a little bit to chapter 4, verse 32 to 35? Okay. Chapter 4, verse 32 to 35. After what we read, by the way, another 2,000 was added to their number. All right. And it says right here, chapter 4, verse 32 to 35. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Everyone say, one heart. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. Everyone say, everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need amen when you read this is this radical for you guys when you read this can we relate This is the early church. This is the Ecclesia of Christ. And we see Jesus Christ building his church through his disciples. And I want to make some observations here. That I don't want to zone in on what we just read. Let's observe together what the early church was like. It says right there, they were devoted. We'll stop right there. That word catches my attention. They were Devoted. It means they were committed. All these apostles that came through, they were not thinking, okay, I'm saved, which church should I go to? Which, you know, they were devoted. They were all in. They had an all in spirit. There was no hint of consumerism amongst them. Which apostles should I listen to? Which apostles should I, you know, choose to hear from? You know what I mean? There was no hint of consumerism. These disciples, early disciples, they were selfless. They were hungry. And man, more than any time right now, now, our generation needs that right now. Our generation, you know what we need? We need disciples who are devoted. Committed. And that's so hard, isn't it? To find in our generation. No, I'll be honest. Even in my heart. I ask myself, when I read this scripture, it says they were devoted. I'm like, am I devoted? Am I devoted? Am I, is there any kind of consumerist spirit in me? But the question that follows is what were they devoted to? A couple things. The scripture says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. What did the apostles teach? Of course, they shared their testimonies. But what did the apostles teach? When thousands of people were gathered, it says the apostles were teaching. What content? What were they teaching? They taught everything that Jesus taught. They taught everything that Jesus taught. They taught from the very words of Jesus himself. They were there on the Sermon on the Mount, right? Right? They were, there, they were there doing life with them. They were there when Jesus was teaching to the crowds and the Pharisees. They were there. Everything that they learned over those three years, they began to teach. How much have we learned? How many years has this been for us? You know what I mean? Right? They began to teach these things. You see, there's two major things in the Word of God that the disciples knew. And I have to challenge and ask us if we are well aware of them. Right. You see, is there devotion and allegiance to the words of God? Do we tremble at the word of God? I should have my Bible here with me. Do we tremble at the word of God? Right. The, the two things that I realize that are so important in the Bible, but a lot of us, we do lack in understanding, is two things. It's the promises of God and the commandments of God. Promises of God, and the commandments of God. When we sing that song, "All Your promises are yes and amen." I was so challenged when I sang that song. You know why? Because I have no idea what are your promises, God. What am I say, what am I saying yes and amen to? All your promises, His prophecies, the covenants, Abrahamic covenant, Davidic covenant. All these come. It's so rich. All his promises. Do we know his promises? And then his commandments. There's so many commandments that Jesus gave. And these disciples who did life with them, they knew. They knew. They knew the commandments. They knew the promises of God. And here they are teaching them. Right. In that time. Christians, they were called people of the way. They're not called Christians. At that time, in that culture, they're called people of the way. Right? What else were they devoted to? Right? The first is they were devoted to the apostles' teachings. Right? What does that mean for us? That we've got to be devoted to the Word of God. We've got to be devoted to the words and the teachings, the commandments, the promises of Jesus. The second thing that they were devoted to is this. They were devoted to genuine fellowship. It says that they were devoted to one another. (coughs) Fellowship in Greek is koinonia, right? Fellowship. I know that every single person in this room, we long for genuine fellowship. But what is genuine fellowship? First of all, we don't use that word in everyday language, right? Hey, what's up, Vine? You want a fellowship? You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) what is koinonia? Because they were so devoted to it. Koinonia is this devotion to one one another. Everyone say one another. You know, there are so many commands that Jesus gives that at the tail end of those commands, it says one another. Let me read a couple of them. Scripture commands us to be devoted to one another, honor one another. Alright. I'm gonna say these things, you gotta say it with me. Say one another, alright? <laughs> Here we go. They were devoted to, honor, live in harmony with, accept, serve, be kind and compassionate to, forgive, admonish, encourage, spur one another on toward one another, right? <laughs> Offer hospitality to, love. These are all in the Bible, commanded by Jesus. This is koinonia. A word caught my attention. This word is hospitality. It's one of the gifts of the Spirit. Hospitality, right? Hospitality is crucial. I was hanging out with one of my friends. He's a he's a messianic rabbi. He's a Jewish rabbi. Comes from a culture that is. Jewish, right? And I was talking to him. He was like, hey, John, like, what is hospitality? And when a Jewish, you know, rabbi asks you a question, you don't know what to say. I'm like, I don't know. Like, give some fruit when they come over. I don't know, you know? And then he said, he was teaching me this. He says this, hospitality, why it's a gift of the spirit is because of this. The nature of hospitality, it's so selfless, isn't it? The nature of hospitality, it's, it's serving one another, right? He said this. I love this. He said, Hospitality is cultivating a space of safety, right? So that Holy Spirit can move. Hospitality is cultivating a space of safety, allowing the Holy Spirit to move. That's fellowship. That's fellowship. And guess what? It takes time, it takes time to build trust. It takes time to build safety. But the question we got to ask ourselves, do we have this one another mindset? Do we live our lives where we want to host? Do we live our lives where we want to create a safe space, not just here on a Sunday, but in your homes, in your communities, in your circle of friends? That's what they were devoted to. So what was the first thing they were devoted to? Yeah, the apostles' teachings. The second thing they were devoted to? All right. Genuine fellowship. Another thing that sticks out to me here is, it says they had all things in common. Man, that caught my attention. 3,000, people from all over the place, and they got together, and it says they had all things in common. We got like 20 people here. Do we have all things in common? This is like... What, what that blows my mind. And then another 2,000 are added, and we read that in, in verse 4. It kept repeating again and again. They were one. They had all things in common. What does this mean? It means that they had unity, right? Not to be confused with uniformity. You see, there was such a humility in everyone's hearts. There was such a... a, a, a a serving, a loving of one another that was going on, it was so strong that, that when people came, they felt one. You know, you know what the gospel does? You know what the cross of Jesus Christ, Christ does? And I love this. What the gospel does is it doesn't elevate anybody in their identity, but also it doesn't deflate anybody in their identity. But we live in a world where it's all about that. And it's based on class, it's based on race, it's based on culture, it's based on so many different classifications that it is a sign and wonder that I see right here. The fact that thousands of people got together and it said that they had all things in common. Can we dream a little? This is what God's doing. Right? Unity and diversity. Okay. All things in common means this. It's how we view one another and also how our allegiance is now to Jesus. When they had all things in common, it was saying this. It didn't say that they all conformed to one personality or like they all <laughs> conformed to one culture or whatnot. All things in common is the way that they viewed each other was different. And everyone's allegiance and devotion to Christ, that's what everyone had in common there. And you know what happens when everyone has all things in common? When that kingdom culture begins to infiltrate here? You know what happens? It says this. Something else I want to point out here that we we all see. They had radical generosity. Radical generosity. You know, Philippians 2, it says this. If any encouragement in Christ, is, if any of us have been encouraged by Christ, if any of us have been impacted by the gospel, Paul says this: have the same love the same mind be of one accord one mind and the key to all this is humility that's what the early church had and also radical generosity not only generous with their money but with their time and space and resources what was going on what do you ha- what do you what do you, what do you do when 3,000, 4,000 people come to a central loca- location. They're from all over the place, and they want to stay. What do people do? They have, to, they have to host. They have to show hospitality. They have to be generous. Right? And it says it says here, like, I just want to make this clear. Everyone, they didn't sell all their things at once. Right? The, The verb here, if you look into the Greek... It doesn't mean that they did it all at once. Their charity was day by day, little by little, right? Which means this, in this community, you know what they knew? They knew each other's needs. Can we dream for, here even at Busan, in this community, like, can we be a, can we form a culture of radical generosity here? Do we even know the needs of the people in this room? Like, I mean, look around here. There are needs in this room. Whether it's financial, whether it's emotional. Can we be radical generous with our time, with our money? You know, I've been living off of, a, I'm a missionary. I've been living off support for the past eight years. And man, the power of just seeing the church being so generous, not only supporting me financially, but believing in me and what God's doing in my life, it's empowering. It's powerful. I remember one time, like uh, we were doing house church with some of my friends in the states, and what was happening is um, there was there was this woman, and she had a need, and she was crying, saying, "I need this much money because of the medical expenses for this and this." I remember one of my friends like, "Hey guys, stop what you're doing! Stop what you're doing right now. Can we pause real quick?" He took off his hat. Hey, our sister needs this much money because she's going through this. Real quick, I'm going to leave my hat there on the side. If the Lord leads you to be generous, then put in whatever you want. She got covered that night. 30 minutes later, she walked away weeping. Man, what are the needs in this community? Right? Radical generosity. Man, this was an early church. Question I have, how now did the disciples know to do all this? Did the disciples get together before all this happened? It was like, okay, let's plan this. Alright, we're gonna pray for the Holy Spirit to come down. And then you know, you know what I mean? Like, did they have planning meetings for programs, meeting location, oh, no? It none of this happened. They did not know what to do. The Lord was doing it. They didn't say church will look like this, let's do church now. So, how did this all happen? Right? Everything that happened. And this is really important for us to know. Everything that happened in Acts chapter 2, it was all just manifested obedience to the teachings and commandments of Jesus. You know what the disciples were doing? They were just obeying Jesus. Watch this. We're going to backtrack a little bit. Acts chapter 2, we just read it. Watch this. We're going to backtrack and see why they did what they did. The disciples, when they did life with Jesus, the last words, the last commandment that they heard from Jesus was the Great Commission. The last thing that they heard from Jesus was was this. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So, after the Holy Spirit poured out, the disciples, they were simply obeying. They were teaching everybody... All that Jesus had commanded them. They were simply obeying the great commission. What else happened? What else did Jesus tell the disciples? He said this. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, on the night that Jesus was captured, Jesus, he got a towel in a basin, he put a towel on his shoulder, he got down on his knees, he began to wash his disciples' feet, Right? It says, when he washed their feet and put on their outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. For so I am. And it's, it says this. Jesus says this to his disciples. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you you also should do just as I, just as I have done. So when he was with all these, when the disciples, with all these people, what did they do? They remembered the words of Jesus. Okay, I should teach the commandments of God. Well, I, I should serve just like you're serving me right now. All they're doing is responding to Jesus. This is how Jesus is building his church. What else? Remember, we kept saying they had all things in common, they had a unity. John 17, you know what Jesus is yearning and Jesus' prayer was before he left? Jesus prays this in John 17. He says, Father, I do not ask for only these, but Father, I ask for those who will believe in me through your word, that's us, that's future believers, that they may also be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Jesus prayed for unity. The disciples knew that. And guess what happened? You need to begin happening. Communion. Before Jesus left, he broke bread. They drank the blood. And what did Jesus say to the disciples after they did that? Do this in remembrance of me. What happened in the early church? They did in remembrance of Jesus. They broke bread. They did have communion. What else did the early church do? They loved the marginalized in society. They love the broken, the orphan, the widow. They love people like Zacchaeus. Jesus made a reservation at Zacchaeus' house. You see the early church, what it looks like? What I do not want for us to do is look at the early church, what we just read in Acts chapter 2. Let's imitate that. No. Because it's not about outward imitation. It's about inner conviction. It's about heart transformation. And you know how that comes? Jesus. Because the disciples, they were not following a program. Disciples were only simply obeying the words of Jesus. Everything that we read about that was so extravagant in the early church, everything, to the dot, it was all obedience to Jesus. And that challenges us, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but that makes me hungry. Oh, man, I want to know the words of Jesus. I want to know the commandments of Jesus. Jesus is building his church, but I want want to be involved in that. Okay, I want to wash people's feet. Okay, I want to be hospitable. Okay, I want to serve one another. I want to do all these things, but I can't just do merely... Imitation, you know, what I got to understand in my heart that all these things Jesus did. Jesus did it to me first. Jesus did it to you first. Amen? You know what he did? He, Jesus came to serve and not to be served. Jesus showed radical generosity in his grace in our lives. Jesus washed people's feet. Jesus became poor that we can become rich. Jesus. Didn't just host us in his presence. He made a reservation and came down to where we were. And he incarnated himself to do life with us. Jesus taught. He prayed. He walked in signs and wonders. Jesus broke bread. And he invited us to his banqueting table. When we don't understand these things in our hearts, everything that Jesus has done in our lives as individuals, guess what? Just outward imitation of what we think church looks like. It won't cut it. It can only last for so long. Amen? I'm tempted to say I'm almost done. I'm going to read this quote. (laughs) I'm going to read it. What time do you guys usually end? Well, you know, church is not just about a program, right? It's not just about the program, right? And I'm any the, the time, if the spirit is moving, then we keep going, right? Talk to the early house churches in China. Oh, they get offended. Oh, okay. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be polite, all right? It's just a couple more things, a couple more things. Is this good stuff? You guys being blessed? It's okay? All right. I'm going to read this quote from a book called Life Together from a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer posted this on my Instagram, and everybody and their mamas was like, oh, that's good. That's good. (laughs) I want to read this. It's very convicting. I invite Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts through this quote. It says this. Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community, itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest earnest, and sacrificial. God hates this wishful dreaming because because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Those who dream of this idolized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands set up by their own law and judge, and judge one another, and God accordingly. It is not who... It is not we who build, but Christ builds up. And what he's saying is this. In this consumerist society, let's be humble enough that to some degree we have that in every single one of us. We're shaped by our culture, aren't we? It's a dual thing. We're shaped by the world, but we're also shaped by the kingdom. There is that battle going on inside. What Bonhoeffer is saying is this. Our, our, our dream... Our preferences of a Christian community, if we love that more than we actually just love the people, we'll end up destroying that community. Because our hearts will get so hardened. What's the point of this? It's the same main it's the same main point that Jesus was trying to drive into every single one of his disciples. It's very simple. Just love one another. Love one another. That's Jesus' main point. How is Jesus going to build his church? When we love one another. Now the expression of that, we see, we read, we read that today. Amen. One last thing. (laughs) One last thing, I promise. I grew up hearing this about the church. It says the, qu- I, the quote says this. The church is not a museum or a concert, but a hospital. You guys ever heard that before? The church is not a museum, as in you come to spectate, right? The church is not a museum where you come and spectate and watch from afar, right? Examining relics and artifacts of the past, right? church is also not a concert where you, people come to be entertained, right? church should be a hospital, a place where... The broken come in. They are to be healed and made whole. But Dale Partridge, I love Partridge, I love what he said. He says this. The church isn't just a hospital, but a medical school. The world is the hospital. Or I'm gonna say that again. Alright? The church isn't just a hospital, but a medical school. The world is the hospital. What I'm trying to say is this. You know, I believe that our our church here, the church here, we're not just called to be a hospital where people come and be healed. There's this sensitive term called therapeutic Christianity, where, where, where healing is the end purpose. But God's given us a mission, right? And I don't want to downplay the importance of healing, because that is also the responsibility of the church. But what I'm saying is there's a greater destiny, destiny for every single one of us Henry Nowen wrote this book called *Wounded Healers*, talking about not only are we healed, but through our wounds, maybe some of us are going through certain things, because that's a part of the testimony and journey to heal someone else. I think that's what church should be about. I'm gonna take it a step further, you know, church is not just a hospital. Church is like CrossFit, right? <laughs> CrossFit, right? <laughs> Ina is laughing because she she used to be a CrossFit a director, or a, or a coach. CrossFit is similar to a gym, but gyms are mostly individual. But CrossFit is with people. Yeah, You see, in CrossFit, come on somebody, right? In CrossFit, I went for the first time, and the first time I did it, I threw up. You know why I threw up? Because I was insecure. Because we moved together as a group. But here's the thing. In CrossFit, when you move together as a group, You can't can't think about, oh, I don't want to be last. That's what I thought about. Not knowing myself. So I overpushed myself, and I was knocked out, and I threw up in the bathroom. But in CrossFit, you know why I love this so much? When you do it, the people that you're working with, they teach you the right techniques if you're doing it wrong. right? They encourage the heck out of you. right? I remember the second time I went to CrossFit, there was like a grandma there. And she was said, for decades she had like a really bad back and walking around like this. She said, through a year of crossFit, and she was sharing, she was sharing a testimony, right? She said her back was healed. Yeah. And you know what? I'm convinced that she, she, it worked out for her because there was a community. There was a, there was a group of people that instructed her, told her how to do it, you know, made sure she was, she was doing wrong, and they, they didn't pressure her. Saying you gotta catch up with the rest of us. You know what I mean? Church. It's CrossFit, you know Acts chapter two? If they had CrossFit, it'd be game over. You know what I mean? It'd be game over. That's what I feel like the church is. And it's like this. We need to we are we are a body, right? And check this out. One time I was carrying something heavy and then I pulled my back. You guys ever done that before? I pulled my back and I was immobile for a long time. And I went to the chiropractor, and he was doing his thing. And then the first thing he told me is this If you want to get healed, you got to work on your core. Right? <laughs> he made that happy. He said, If you want to get stronger, you got to work on your core, your abs. You got to do them planks. You got to do them sit ups. You got to build that up. Because if your core is weak, then the heavy lifting will injure you. you know? Why am I sharing about this? I believe this about the body of Christ. I believe the body of Christ, the way we love one another and serve one another, that's like working out our core. And not until our core is strong can we as a church actually go out there and start doing missions, start doing some heavy lifting, right? Because guess what? If we try to do those things just out of zeal without a strong core, we're going to get hurt. We're going to get injured. We're going to burn out. There won't be enough love within to sustain when it gets hard. And guess what? It's going to get hard. Life is going to get hard. It says that in the end times, it's going to get really hard. But the church is supposed to shine brighter in those times. And I'm done here. My message to us today is let's build our core. New Philip Buzon, look around. I challenge you, read Acts chapter 2 again. Study the commandments of Jesus. Love one another, serve one another. Be radical in that, toward one another. Find out each other's needs. Because that's what Jesus is doing all across the world. I'll pray for us. Let's pray.